welcome to a supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish. I'm Chad Shanks, and if you're looking for the first full episode of this series, you'll want to download the one titled Episode 1, Team Social Media in the Rise of NBA Twitter. But if you've already listened to it and want to hear more from my guest from that episode, then you are in the right place. This is my full interview with Shabazz Khan, currently running social for the Timberwolves, in his second stint with the club. And while the full episode focuses more on his time with the Kings, here he discusses more about his journey from Minnesota to Sacramento and then back again, with some random bird-related stops in between. His is a story of passion and dedication and the lengths the person must sometimes go in order to land a job at the NBA and then to be successful at it. If you want to hear more from him and more about social media and sports, be sure to check out his podcast, Social on the Sidelines, especially the second episode where he had me as a guest and did a great job editing out most of my profanity. So here is my full conversation with Shabazz Khan. First of all, did you grow up in Minnesota or did you just, you ended up there for the job? No, yeah, I'm born and raised uh, Minnesota, a huge Timberwolves fan growing up and, uh, you know, it was kind of my dream to to find my way in. Um, and luckily it happened in social in a realm that, you know, I was kind of pursuing in, in college. So it took a little bit, but made it happen. Well, that's cool. So how old were you when the Timberwolves started? Because they started in what, like 1990, something like that? I, so I was not, I was, I wasn't born. True story. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, but you are younger than the Timberwolves. Yes, this is true. Um, so. You know, grew up watching, coincidentally enough, uh, the series I most remember watching was the Timberwolves and, and Kings in 04 Western Conference semifinals. So never thought that I'd uh, make it over to Sacramento, but um, spent three years of my life there. So, Yeah, that's crazy. Was, do you remember going to Timberwolves games as a little kid and then like one day walking into that same arena and like, holy crap, this is where I work? Yeah, absolutely. I, a funny story, actually. So my dad was the first volunteer from Minnesota after 9-11 to, to go overseas. And the Timberwolves invited us out to a private dinner um, and, you know, met KG, who's my childhood idol and got um, season tickets. So I was pretty much at every game um, after that and went to a bunch of games, um, kind of grew up loving the sport because of my dad and Grew to love the Wolves just because I remember fondly, you know, watching playoff games in 04 with him, um, staying up late night on that West Coast time. And, um, yeah, tons of fond memories. Oh, that's cool. So what did your dad do? He joined a branch of the military? Yeah, he was uh, National Guard and uh, he did seven overseas tours, but um, one of them was just volunteering to go to Afghanistan, Operation Enduring Freedom, um, right after 9-11. Um, first volunteer over there. So yeah, it, um, it was cool to get recognized by, by the wolves for our, for our family. And that kind of spurred what ended up becoming a lifelong addiction to being a, a wolves fan. And coincidentally enough, once I finally got my internship, um, or associateship as a social media associate with the wolves, that was KG's, uh, first year when he got traded back, uh, into a wolves uniform. So I got to cover that, which was surreal. Oh, wow. Well, did you, um, did whoever the person was who 
you know, made the decisions to, to give the season tickets and the, the party or what the, the event for the, the nine 11, or the, uh, you know, the people that went overseas, did you end up working with that person? Were they still there? Did you get to like tell him or her like, Hey, you know, you did this awesome thing for us when, when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I don't believe they still work, work there. And, um, my dad could tell me um, who it was, but when I was trying to sift through and find my way around, it didn't seem like anyone from the, I'm assuming it was the marketing department at that time kind of stuck around. So uh, no, I, I, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah. I knew it was a long shot, but uh, as I'm sure as we'll get into in a little bit, the, uh, the turnaround in uh sports jobs is, you know, not exactly the best. Yeah. But um, for sure. So, uh, how'd you get into the job? What was your, did you get it straight out of college? Uh, no, actually. So my freshman year and sophomore year, um, you know, always wanted to continue playing ball. I went to university of St. Thomas and, um, was going to play over there and fractured both my wrists, uh, injured my knee. And then I switched to the U of M and obviously I'm a five eleven Pakistani guy. So my chance to play D one ball was very minimal. Um, so really I was trying to find my way back into, into hoops. And, uh, once I switched to U, I was originally an engineering student. Um, and after that first semester at a private university, University of St. Thomas, um, I switched right to the U, um, from an engineering student. To, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. And I got recommended by a counselor to, to check out the journalism school. Um, and I was deciding between that and, and uh, the marketing school at the University of Minnesota, which is super well-known, uh, Carlson School of Management. Um, but I decided to kind of take a risk and, and head to the journalism school and pursue a strategic communications degree with a focus in you know, graphic design and online media and all of that. And saw the Timberwolves had a social media opening back in, I want to say, 2011. So applied in 2011, applied in 2012. And I didn't get the job either time. And by the third year, when I was a junior, I uh, got as many internships as I could. I ended up with six social media internships all at the same time, vastly different oh, wow. organizations outside of sports. So I did um, social media work for the college's bird rehabilitating center. Um, so like eagles <laughs> and falcons and all this stuff, which was it was in, insane, but it was the best experience that I could have asked for. Um, got to do it for Popeye's restaurants for a little bit. Got to do it for uh, the graduate women in science on campus. And essentially, once once I had those six, I went right back to the person I interviewed with and I said, "Hey, you know, I just really want you to look at my resume. I did all this work to to kind of get to this point. Not asking for you to to hand me over a job, but I'd love for for you to take a look and." That third year after, after I had those internships, I, I got hired on board. Um, so started as social media associate my junior year in college, um, which was a full time 40 hour plus, uh, a week, uh, position with the wolves and links started out on the link side and then got rehired for the wolves. Um, flew myself out to summer league and, uh, kind of networked and met other people in the industry. And then, uh, luckily enough, when I was hired back for wolf season, um, my director decided to to fly me out to the all-star game in New York where I met tons of folks. And again, just networked as much as I could with everyone who did what we did in NBA social. Um, and that, that's kind of what actually led me to get my, uh, my job with the Sacramento Kings just cause I, the person that I had met there, even though it was for two minutes, 
uh, remembered who I was, remembered me introducing myself. That kind of led to a position over there. Yeah, was it Jason? Did you meet Jason mm -hmm. out there? Yeah, Jason. Okay, yeah. Did, so, did, we, did we meet in New York? Forgive me for not remembering a hundred percent. I believe we did. Yeah, I believe we did. I, I'm sure uh, we did at that one of those big get-togethers. Yeah, it was. It was at uh, some sort of restaurant. I don't remember exactly which one, but the NBA yeah. held one. And I just kind of went there and tried to introduce myself. And after college, worked at a social media agency that uh, in Chicago that did work for athletes and celebrities like. Florida, uh, Paula Abdul, Eli Manning, Shane Battier, but uh, I did not enjoy it at all. So two months into my first job out of college, first full-time salary gig, quit, um, tried to find my next position. And luckily within the next couple of weeks, I landed a position at the Kings. And after that, moved out there, drove from Minneapolis to Sacramento about two weeks after quitting that Chicago job. And was there for three months until last or three years until last month. Wow. What didn't you like about doing the, uh, the celebrity gig? Um, it was, it was sold to me as being very, um, creative and, and having some of the creative leeway that, you know, I've, I've come to enjoy and, um, pride myself on. Um, and it was much more posting copy and creating copy um and huge content calendars that we would have it was essentially just creating sponsored posts for these athletes and celebrities more so than trying yeah. to aid them with their voice and their brand and all of that so not necessarily something where i felt like my skill set was utilized to its fullest potential and obviously the the king's gig um the thing that drew me over there was one obviously wanted to get back in nba social um and and two had the opportunity to improve upon my skill set and, and do more than just social. So um, while I was leading all the, the social fronts there, I was also writing all the articles and, and editing all the content that we put on the website. So it was kind of a twofold gig and got to travel with the team for, for my three years out there. So um, couldn't turn that opportunity down. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm trying to think of good questions regarding that. But all I keep thinking about is you went from working for a bird rehabilitation project to Popeye's chicken. So like all the birds who didn't make it, you ended up like still talking about them somehow. That's, that's kind of crazy. Full circle. Yeah. So, and also you said, so you started with, uh, on the link side, like, I don't yep. think I've ever talked to anyone who had, um, experience with, uh, WNBA social. Well, I mean, what, what was that like? I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's just almost a different world than the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Whereas the NBA, even in 2014, when I, when I was doing it for, for the Wolves, um, there's still these huge fan bases. And the Lynx definitely have a, a huge uh, fan base. Um, but obviously, there's a ton of room for improvement in terms of growing the league as a whole. And uh, the abilities that I had as an outsider, you know, frankly, when I first started, I, I didn't watch uh, the W. And by the end of it, I was amazed by how well they played together, you know, just the competition um, and trying to summarize that, you know, daily um, and, and kind of get the word out about what our brand was and, and what it meant to the sport and why it's more than just, um, you know, the WNBA. It's, it's really good competitive basketball regardless of, of gender. So it was a great opportunity. And I was able to do some really cool things. Um, I value 
to an immense amount uh, what the Lynx are able to do and um, how close uh, they are with the fan base. Um, it's just a different ball game completely in terms of access and um, you know the the tight knit group that um, W fans are. Oh, interesting. And, and forgive me if I misunderstood, but you said your your first stint with the Timberwolves was more of a, a temporary gig, or a, a seasonal thing. It wasn't a, a full-time position? Uh, so it was a full-time, but it was a full-time internship. They call it an associateship here. Gotcha. So that, gotcha. that program still runs through most departments. I have a social media associate myself um, now. Um, but yeah, it's 40 hours a week, uh, full-time, but very much at the intern level and seasonal. Okay. And so then the first full-time permanent was joining the Kings. Mm -hmm. And what year was that that you went over there? Or uh, before what season? There, uh, 2015. Okay. Yep. Um, so what was, it, uh, what was the transition like? Not, um, not geographically so much, but just right. going from seeing how one organization worked to, to another, like, was it, uh, was it, was there any level of culture shock? Was there any, uh, just, you know, I'm just interested in hearing inside insider's perspective of how different teams operate, especially in regards to their social strategy. Right. So yeah, no, it was definitely, uh, there, there, there was a huge difference when it came to the organization, um, when it came to, to social and digital, um, because when I came in at the Kings, they were kind of at the forefront at the time or just beginning to, to heavily invest in, in the department, not to say that the, the Timberwolves and Lynx did it, but just because it was a little bit more um, new to them, whereas the Kings had this department for, for quite some time and they were finally starting to expand beyond two or three people, uh, you know, a director, a manager, and then hiring this producer level position. So um the the opportunity there from the get-go was immense and it was daunting at the same time just because you know obviously social in itself is is a very full-time gig um throughout the nba season and when you combine that with digital content when it comes to the website um and everything that entails you know it, it's essentially two three sometimes four different positions because it's photography it's video it's writing oh, yeah. it's editing and then all the social um parts and, and the graphic design and content creation and creating content uh calendars you know uh trying to leverage trending topics creative ideas and whatnot so um it was a huge huge uh difference in terms of just my role um just because it was so much more encompassing but i valued it immensely and i still do just because i wouldn't have become as well-rounded as i am now and have been able to learn as much as i have uh, had I not been in that position. Yeah. Well, walk me through a little bit. What was your typical, what was a typical game day like for you? Um, uh, either in Sacramento or now in, in Minnesota, like just what the, just to give the, anyone who doesn't know just the, the idea of the level of all day responsibility that, uh, this position has. Yeah. So, um, when I first started out in Sacramento on a, on a game day, you know, I, I get up at, eight or nine, there'd usually be a shoot around. So I'd go into uh, the, the shoot around with the team, take some photos, uh, put up a photo gallery on the website, um, you know, record some interviews, put up the interviews on the website, share those on social. Um, and then depending on who we were playing, you know, we, we will have all sorts of sponsorship requests. So ensuring that all of those are, um, you know, up 
um, scheduling out some of my employees that are assisting in game day duties, um, and then you know continuing to to write um, and, and build off some of the previous content when it came to either shoot around or the day before or you know anything that we saw um, that was worthy of writing about. So, for example, you know if Demarcus Cousins. Um, you know, the day before was talking about this, this might be the year we make the playoffs, you know, I'll get up a quote about that, put up a separate graphic, uh, graphic on social, write about it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, it's ideating, um, what we can do depending on who we're playing on a social front. So, you know, if we're playing and uh, I don't know, uh, a Golden State Warriors and it's a Northern California rival, we know there's going to be a lot of bandwagon fans or, you know, whatever else. So how can we leverage that um to, to folks that aren't in arena because obviously as you know a lot of the you know 99 percent of your following on on social uh is not at the game and on top of that uh, most of them aren't even in the city so how can we make this uh a global game um because really the the mentality over in sacramento was ensuring that the kings were um becoming a global brand and that that happened by any means necessary so from social, it was a unique standpoint, and we took a lot of risks, um, and that meant um, creating a lot of content and uh, ideating a lot of different things between me reaching out to influencers or you know taking some risks on the social side. Yeah, I remember. So during my my time, I don't remember the Kings being one of the more uh, risque uh, social t social teams, but then. Um, holy crap, did that ever change? Um, <laughs> like, uh, tell me like a little bit about what was the, you know, internal discussion that led from them being kind of your a typical kind of, I don't mean it offensively, like a, a boring social account to, yep. an, to the account that dropped the, uh, the L graphic, um, <laughs> on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, I'm just fascinated at how that turnaround happened. Yeah. So when I came in, um, uh... I want to say within my first week, you know, I was allowed to. They, in, in from my understanding, there wasn't a ton of live coverage in terms of Twitter uh, from the King side before my arrival, and you know, I was allowed to live tweet my first game, my first week there, and it was a preseason game against the Lakers. Obviously, preseason doesn't mean a whole lot, but um, you know, Lakers are a huge rival for the Kings. Obviously, had the two thousand two. Um, you know, final Western Conference final matchup, and obviously a lot of uh, bad blood in between those two fan bases. So, really, from that first game, I uh, you know I reached out to my manager and and Jason and uh, our director and Andrew Nicholson, and wanted to do something a little bit different. And basically, um, it it all started that night because um, I inquired whether we'd be able to called the Lakers the Acres for the last part of the game because we were winning by 20 or 30, I want to say. And uh, the reason why was because at the end of the game, I was going to say, well, we're calling them the Acres because we're about to give them an L. And it was kind of hesitant at first. Um, there wasn't necessarily – it hadn't been done um, from that perspective. And so they were kind of hesitant on, on kind of to toying with that line. Uh, but, you know, my mentality was always and, and has always been pushing the boundaries and um, creating conversation because at the end of the day, from a social perspective, our, our job is to create conversation. And so when we started doing that, um, you know, it all started that night and 
from then on, they, they kind of saw in 2015, this, this was, you know, we got, I want to say 4,000 or 3,000 retweets in under an hour. And that was kind of number one tweet all time, um, at the time. And they're like, all right, let's embrace this. So from then on, you know, our, our department, um, and, and myself, uh, were given every opportunity and given the green light to pretty much pitch any idea. And I would rarely hear a no. Um, just because they saw the value in creating this conversation. And, you know, like you said, the Sacramento Kings at first, uh, one, the on-court performance, frankly, was not anything to be, you know, prideful of at the time. And so how are we as a social brand um, going to make it more than just the game? And for me, that was, and for our department, that was making uh, these conversational moments off the court. And that started, you know, um, that year. Wow. And so you never heard any, you didn't get any, uh, flack from the Lakers people. Cause if I remember correctly, they were, they're known among the league as some of the ones who will complain the most about that, that kind of, uh, disrespect in, uh, <laughs> in air quotes. Yeah. No, no, I, I hadn't heard from, from them. Um, uh, you know, there, there have been plenty of times in my career I've, I've, I've heard from, from teams, uh, that weren't necessarily fond of some of the stuff that we've done. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, I think, that's the unique thing about NBA social is the folks know each other and um, you know, it's a tight knit community so I can reach out and, and, you know, I'll, I'll let people know um, that we're coming for you tonight, you know, whether we win or lose, we're going to have something for you. And that's kind of what we uh, we're always proud of. Like it doesn't matter what's going on on the court. You know, we're going to have something for you that night and either you respond or you don't. And that's on you, but we're creating our conversation. Um, so how you want to respond to it, it, it was, uh, you know, it's up to you. Yeah. So I've been, uh, as my history shows, I've been wrong about a number of things in the uh, NBA social media in the past. But uh, one thing I was glad to be wrong about was when I saw that the Lakers, I mean, the uh, the Cavaliers L graphic. Yep. Um, I was talking to people at StatMuse. I go, someone's getting fired for that. Like, <laughs> I promise you, I promise you someone is getting fired for that. So, what, I mean, what... <laughs> What was the idea that, I mean, I mean, what, what led to that and what was the response that you saw? Uh, so like I said, pretty much that first week we, we started running with the whole L thing. And, uh, it, it's funny because multiple times throughout the season, you know, um, Ennis Cantor actually recently used one of our photoshops that we used at the beginning of 2016 with Devin Booker holding an L. Um, I don't know if you had seen that, but you know, we, we had always been doing this thing with the L and, um, just having some fun with it because, you know, any time that you call out that the opposing team is lost, their fans are going to be up in arms, your fans are going to love it, um, and neutral fans are, are going to talk about it. And so, really, we had been doing this for, for a little bit, um, you know, and it was that formula that always created the conversation. So, um, especially during a game that um, we had the most amount of eyes on, um, what we were doing socially and on the court in that game we ended up winning, you know, we were talking through ways that we were going to leverage it. And I was actually on the road with the team. And, um, you know, we, I, we had a Slack group with, with Jason Wise and uh, Andrew Nicholson and some of the other folks in our department and got, uh, you know, the heads up that we were going to go with it if we won. And um, so, you know, Jason mocked, mocked it up real quick. We sent it out. We decided, you know, what the messaging was going to be. Um, and then right afterwards, 
I, I don't know if you remember LeBron's quote that Cleveland, this is for you. Um, I pulled that quote from YouTube and then we did a supplementary thing, which I think put a little bit over the top. Um, but we put a vid- video with that saying in the background and put DeMarcus holding an L and yeah. hit the quote, <laughs> Cleveland, this is for you. Um, and so, you know, Jason's kind of manning the, the front while I'm on the road. I'm getting post-game quotes and this and that. And I kid you not, I walk in the locker room and the entire team sees me and starts going wild. Garrett Temple, DeMarcus Cousins, uh, you know, Aaron O'Fallon are like, this is the funniest shit ever. Like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and Well, that's, you know, what, that's what they told me too right before I got fired. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't really think any anything of it um uh, but you know uh obviously that didn't necessarily sit well with with everybody um so you know there was conversations had between our department and leaders on our business side and um folks that um necessarily weren't um fond of it but essentially we came to the conclusion that you know uh we we created the conversation that we we wanted to um we we were aware of of what the response might be. That being said, we didn't think it was going to be um, as picked up as it was. Um, you know, not to the tune of forty thousand retweets or whatever. Um, but you know, I also talked to the Cavs social people and I let them know the ideas that we had in mind. Um, Lucy over there and kind of told her what had went down. Um, and so we felt comfortable and we had the buy in from from our business side to to say that this is something that we're going to be keeping up and. Uh, that was the kind of buy-in that we had in, in, in Sacramento. Well, who was the most upset by it outside uh, of, I'm, you know, butthurt you know, Cavs I'm, fans? I'm, I won't go into the details on that. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want <laughs> to yeah, burn any bridges. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But it, you know, in any organization, there's, there's always going to, you, you have to be, um, cognizant of the fact that people are, are not going to understand, um, the the social perspective of things just because some folks don't have that background um so i totally understood that um you know we all did at the digital department it wasn't um it it definitely wasn't an easy night by any means you know just because the players were celebrating it doesn't mean that um nobody else was frustrated and and just because the you know we had the buy-in from our business side didn't mean that you know we could do that all the time um and you know after that we we certainly toned it down a bit when it came to that front. So um, it was definitely yeah, a learning moment. Well, the... Go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I was going to say, didn't the, uh, the NBA release the, uh, the memo to tell tre- t- teams to stop trolling each other? Wasn't that shortly thereafter? Yeah, no, that was, that was the same week. I want to say it was a couple of days after and I think it was a combination yeah, of that. The and the, rule. Uh, it was a combination of that and the Portland trailblazers, um, you know, tweeting out, um, an airball video that Chandler Parsons took, I think. And then he responded to the tweet and, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was definitely that, um, it was a combination of those things that the league sent on a memo on, but that actually, um, you know, spurred one of my favorite, um, ideas that we ever had at Kings digital when I was there. And, um, I reached out to Jared Wilson and, um, we talked about doing the complete opposite and being extremely nice to each other. And so the entire next game after that memo came out, um, King's Twitter and Hawk's Twitter, if you go back, were over the top nice and it got all kinds of love. Um, and it was one of my yeah, favorite nights to tweet. Um, 
for sure. It was, it was just a really cool uh, piece of execution from, from our team and just a fun idea to, to work with Jared and his team on. So um, it was fun for sure. Oh yeah. No, no flack from the NBA for just basically rubbing their memo in their face and just going no. the complete opposite direction. No. Uh, you know, again, that was one of the, that was one of the scenarios that before we went through that we checked with, you know, our executives, we wanted to make sure that they were good with it. Um, and, um, you know, they, they reached out to folks and we, we had, we had some, um, conversations before that, that happened, um, to ensure that we would be in a good place. So no, there was, there was no hard feelings on, on any front. Um, that one was, there was, there was no, uh, flack whatsoever from anyone's perspective. And I, I don't think it was from the NBA side either. Well, good. Cause it was genius. It was absolute, absolute genius. Appreciate um, that. so walk me through, yeah, walk me through a little bit. What went, uh, what led to you heading back to Minnesota? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, like I said, spent a few years at the Sacramento Kings and absolutely loved it. Um, fan base over there is insane. One of the best fan bases, if not the best fan base personally that I think in sports. Um, and that's coming from when I first went over there, I was a non Kings fan and, seeing um, a sold-out crowd for a preseason game stomping their feet my first day there was insane. Um, so obviously got to know the fan base really well, got uh, tons of opportunities, you know, traveled to every game, like I said, built some immense um, moments in my life that I'll never forget, um, from going to Haiti with Scalabissier to, you know, DeMarcus Cousins on the day he got traded, being with him and, and talking to him on the daily, uh, you know, built some really great relationships. But that being said, uh, I, I kind of thought it was it was time for me to maybe hone in a little bit more on uh, just one specific focus and obviously the opportunity to come back home and um, finish back, finish uh, something that I, I always dreamed of coming back home um, and, and being here at the Wolves and Lynx once again. It's my hometown. Um, always wanted to lead social here because I thought there was a lot of room for improvement. Um, and then I, I spoke to some of the executives here at the Wolves and Lynx and told them my vision for, for social in general and what I think we can do for the Wolves and uh, the Lynx uh, social and digital side. And um, they were all on board and you know kind of allowed me to, in my month and a half here, uh, create my team and uh, you know hired on uh, Cody Sherrod from the Portland Trailblazers um, so, you know, he just started actually two days ago. Um, so just that combined with the fact that it's at home, you know, I'm about to get married in July. Uh, my fiance is from Sacramento, so she was a little bummed. But um, that combined with the fact that uh, the team is playing its best ball since 04 and it's been a long time coming for me as a fan and being able to kind of revamp what we do on social and be at the forefront of that. Um, it, it was just an opportunity I could have turned down regardless of all the other uh, exciting opportunities that I, that I had at the Kings that, you know, it'll take a while to get over here. But that being said, um, the buy-in uh, uh, that I have for all the ideas and anything that I'm pitching over here is, has been crazy in, in a month and a half. Wow. Yeah. Well, what was some of the, um, the vision that you, you sold them on of how you wanted to do social? So again, uh, you know, like I said, uh, it's all about creating conversation. And for me, it's 
creating good content first. And, you know, most folks will, will often ask about the monetization aspect of it. And my mentality is create good content and, and find, uh, you know, partners that make sense in the realm rather than vice versa, finding partners for content. Um, and that combined with the fact that we just need to be social, we need to be innovative in the space, and we need to leverage it the way that it should be leveraged, which is utilizing trending topics, um, you know, leveraging current events, um, and just, you know, providing examples on what I've done in the past and, you know, how I think it would be impactful for, for the business and the organization and what that means for the basketball ops side and, and what it means for players. Um, you know, and referencing some of the relationships that I had built in Sacramento with a lot of the guys on the team and, and how I built their personal brands and that allowed them to, you know, feel, um, a lot more unified with the organization, um, just because of the support that they got from the business side. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a huge thing. And, um, I mean, speaking of the, the business aspect of it, so like when I started there, the thought of people paying for social posts was just a joke, right? And then by the time I had uh, been asked to leave, it was part of the daily conversation and, you know, struggle. And it seems like now when I see team posts, it, I mean, it seems like there's more sponsorship element than, than ever before. I mean, am I, am I wrong there? Or is it, no. is it becoming more and more of your daily, yeah, your daily duties? And, you know, how do you balance that with, you know, doing what sponsors want and what they're paying you for and balancing that with, you know, still trying to make good, engaging content for the fans? Right. Uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely at the forefront. I'll say one of the, one of the biggest changes, you know, when I first started, it was, going about social and in, in the way that I had spoken about, um, you know, trying to create the most engaging, compelling content for, for fans of the day in and day out. And I, that's still at the forefront of, um, my mind, but along with that always comes, you know, how can we do that while also finding folks that are willing to pay us for it? And it won't take away from the compelling and, um, conversational aspect of what we're doing. Um, so, you know, one of the changes I've tried to make is kind of revolutionize the way that our sponsorship team is doing things here. And from day one, they've been um, receptive to all of the feedback that I've had. And we've seen some amazing, uh, amazing results, you know, just in the last week itself, you know, just the way that we're uh, putting out video and the partners that we're attaching to it and the messaging and such. So, um a lot of my focus now is, is on that side of it um, and long-term strategy in terms of voice and tone. That's kind of why I hired on somebody like Cody who has experience in, in the way that I want to go about social on, on a day-to-day. -day. Um, well, I can focus more on uh, some of the sponsorship side of things and um, you know, strategizing how we want to go about our voice and our tone and, and having Cody be the one to execute upon that and uh, than having a coordinator that can kind of be in the support role and jack of all trades. Yeah. So how have you seen, apart from just the importance of monetization with social, just how is just social media in general changed since you started? Um, you know, just your, your kind of feelings about the, the platforms themselves and, you know, what you're doing compared to how it was, you know, a few years ago. Do you see much of a difference in just the general vibe, the general tone of, 
of things. Cause to me, it, it seems like everything has just gotten a lot darker and, uh, just a lot more combative on there. I know yep. there always was that element to it, but I mean, am I wrong? Am I overreacting or is, uh, no, has, I, has there been kind of a, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think there's been an immense change in, in the way that one organizations are, are going about social, but two, the way that folks are consuming content and the way that they're reacting to it. And, you know, Twitter now, as you said, is, is a very different place than it was, um, in times past. And there, the conversational element is still certainly there, but there's also the element that I don't think was as, uh, prevalent as it is now in terms of if you're going about something the wrong way, people are, are going to let you know. And I think starting out, you know, back in 2014, 2013, 2012, when I first got into it, it was kind of a free-for-all for the way people went about things. And there wasn't necessarily any rules or regulations or, you know, that any unwritten rules that the way people go about things. And now, um, you know, there's things you say, there's things you don't say. And if, if you say things in, in the wrong way, people are going to let you know. Or if you say something, um, you know, that that's not uh, indicative of your understanding of what's going on and current events and trending topics, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be not only ridiculed, but people are, are going to call you out for it. And I think, um, you know, an example of that recently was on International Women's Day. The, the LA Clippers put out a, a social post with Anne Frank and um, Ayn Rand oh, and some yeah. of those folks yeah. um, for International Women's Day in a partnership <laughs> with Bumble. And it's like, you know, in, in times past, I'm not going to say nobody would, would have said anything, but would have, you know, would people like my fiance who, who don't have social backgrounds, would they know and hear about this in the past? And, you know, would there be news stories about it? I don't think so. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly changed a lot and it, it allows you to, to realize, um, how quickly and, and, how often you need to be um, thinking of of that side of things because I think in in the past it was just creating conversation um, and, and now you have to be thinking um, you know how are people going to react to this have we thought about it in, in this way what if somebody takes it this way um, and, and you got you just have to think in that fashion and I think that's made the job um, a little bit um, more difficult in terms of the way that we have to think. Um, but it also makes it, I think, um, better overall, just because I, I don't think as many brands are making those decisions, um, in the wrong fashion as they had in the past necessarily. So it, it's, diff it, it's changed immensely. Uh, you know, I, I know I'm going on for, for quite some time, but everything from the way content oh. is being produced to the way that consumers are receiving it, um, and everything in between, you know, leveraging influencers on social was certainly an everything and my last year at the kings that was pretty much my on the weekly i'd be reaching out to to people that we could have uh cooperate with us and and uh you know team up with us on social to see what we could do it in the past you know that wouldn't have even been a thought um and having budgets for that would have never been a thing so um it's very different yeah what do you think i know the teams definitely like getting some some money from these accounts and, and things like that. But compared to those, those early days, like the other guys I've talked to, we talked about it being like, it was like the wild west. You could do anything, say anything, experiment. And there, it was, it was fun. It was freedom. But then now, you know, there's, 
you're seen as an official voice of the team, which that wasn't always the case. And you're seen as this revenue generating thing that before it was just something fun and stupid. So I'm just wondering, you know, do you, do you kind of has, does it compromise your creativity? Does it, you know, do you think one approach is better than the other as far as just for the general fan engagement? You know, how do you, how do you balance the, how do you balance the two? Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's what it, uh, that's the way that you have to think it. It has to be a balance, right? Like there's certainly going to be times where we have to, um, kind of come at it from a monetization standpoint. But that being said, that doesn't mean you have to completely forego the conversational aspect of things. And I think, you know, the biggest areas of improvement for any organization from a social perspective is being able to, to do that seamlessly um, rather than, you know, forcing stuff down folks' throats and taking away the, the fun part of things. Um, so that's certainly at the forefront of, you know, my mind. And, um, I, I always aim and, and strive to continue to be creative whenever possible. But, um, you know, there's times where we're kind of, like you said, um, drawn in and in, in what we can and can't do. And, um, that's just some of the nature of, of how it's changed. But I think it's also beneficial from that respect too, just because, um, you know, now we're, we're given more widespread budgets and, and more all encompassing budgets and, being able to do things that we, we wouldn't have been able to do in the past because of so. Yeah. Well, how do you see, put on your Nostradamus hat for a little bit. And I know <laughs> asking people to predict technology and innovation is always a disaster, but you know, how do you, you know, where do you see this going? If we were to have another conversation two, three, five years from now, I mean, what do you think we're going to be talking about? What's the, what's the next evolution in the, in the, you know, the team social media directors, um, plate you know what are they going to be doing then that they're not even thinking about now uh you know i think there's there's folks that are thinking about it but um i i honestly think the the thing from an nba standpoint in, in social and i think other teams will will slowly catch on i know the nhl was thinking about it but you know esports is going to be huge the fact that the nba you know is at the forefront of creating this e-league um absolutely huge i think i don't know if you saw last night but you know drake hopped on to Fortnite um with travis scott and you know a, a gamer and there were six hundred thousand people watching and uh yeah i think that's really gonna be something that is gonna be at the forefront and, and really ramp up the way that people are strategizing and thinking about things you know i think a large part, portion of the job is going to be digital on the esports front and i think it's going to be a huge revenue driver honestly um for organization. So that combined with the fact that some of the platforms, I think that, you know, we're so used to, um, the number one thing about social is that things change, you know, almost on the daily or, or the weekly or whatever. And I think the way that we're utilizing platforms from brand perspective is going to change immensely, immensely because of so, um, you know, for Facebook continues to make different changes, um, uh, that promote, um, you know, spending ad budgets and, um, Instagram, I think, will continue to, to rise in the, in the way that, um, people are engaging with content that they, on there. And I think it's going to be number one in terms of, um, engagement and, and, uh, user experience and also the number, one of the most used platforms, um, for, 
for brands just because the the followings on there and the opportunities on there are um I don't think leverage their fullest capabilities yet um and I think you know a lot of people talk about Twitter falling off but I I just don't see it um it'll always be the news first and um the toned down version I I think I'll say of uh Instagram um I, I that's still my favorite platform but I just don't see it dying away just because of the conversational tone of of Twitter comparative to to some of the other platforms well, well, now I have you saying it. So as soon as, as soon as it does go belly up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it out for everyone to listen to and say, look at this guy. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, even since I was when I started, I, it was the where the era where you had to keep. I had to create our Instagram, had to create our Snapchat, even like tried doing Pinterest for a little bit, and yep. that was a disaster. Yep, same. You know, so I mean, how do, you, yeah, how do you prioritize? where to spend your, your time and efforts and like part B of the question, like how do you judge whether or not something's a, something's a success or not? Um, so for the first part of that question, I, I think it's being fully aware and um, capable of being able to um, differentiate each platform, right? Like a Facebook demographic is very different than a Twitter demographic and a Twitter demographic is very different than an Instagram. And, and how people engage and, and react to content on each platform. So um, one is is that side of things and being able to tell folks uh, no in some ideas because it might not work on said platform. And and two, in terms of how I measure things, um, whether they're a successor or not, um, socially, it's for me, it, it's always who's talking about it, right? And And how compelling is it? And what has the feedback been from a social perspective? So, you know, as an example, there's been times that I've, I've looped up with an influencer to create an amazing graphic, right? And it might not get the, the numbers and the metrics that, uh, you know, I would have hoped for, but will I think that's a failure because of, of the numbers or, you know, are we taking a harder look at, um, you know, the way that fans responded to it and the way that they engaged with it, the folks that did see it? Um, so I, I think it, it, uh, just like, um, platform, it constantly changing for me. Um, there, there's not necessarily one answer for me to say that this is successful and this isn't. Um, but I, I'll say that one metrics and, and two fan feedback, um, and engagement, um, will always be at the forefront of mine. And then three, who's talking about it, right? So. If a CBS Sports, if a Yahoo Sports, if an ESPN writes an article about something that we're doing socially, um, that that's always a win in my book, right? Um, now, is it a win if it it's on the on the other side of things and we did something wrong? No, um, but if it's something that was meant to be engaging and conversational, and um, you know it's being picked up as such and and talked about as such, I'll always consider that a win. Yeah, definitely. Well, what do you think? Um, I'll start to wrap it up a little bit. I know you've given me a lot of your time. Um, what do you think are some of the misconceptions people have about just the, the job itself? Or what are, what are the, some of the things you hear from people that they assume about what your job is that's just not true? Oh, I'm sure you still or, or may have gotten this, but, you know, the number one thing is that there there's an intern running every account and all we do is tweet for a living, right? Like, um there's mm-hmm. there's there's so much more that that goes into social and digital than um the posting aspect of it i'll i'll say the the thing that we do actually the least um is the posting 
part of, of our jobs. There's so much more time put into strategy, so much more time put into meeting about different opportunities that we can leverage, so much time put into editing and photography and video editing and all of the stuff that ends up getting posted or maybe doesn't ever re see the day of light. Um, and, and also trying, like you said, to, to monetize and engage with our fans, uh, more. There, there's all these different aspects of, of what we do. And I think the biggest misconception is while we do have amazing jobs and I, you know, I, I never take for granted that I have one of the best jobs in the world. Um, there, it's a lot more than hitting send on a tweet, a Facebook post and, and popping my phone open to Instagram. Yeah, is the intern thing still as big as it was yeah, no, it's, three, four years ago? Yeah, no, it's huge. I, you know, like, I read it's one of my still favorite. Haven't caught on. No, yeah, Reddit's still one of my favorite um, websites, and you know, I'll go on NBA Reddit, and every every so often, you know, there'll be a there'll be a comment. I think some folks are getting a little bit more knowledgeable in terms of who's running each account now, so it's toned down a bit. But you'll still often see that, oh man, the intern, you know, messed up tonight, or they they should give this intern a raise like that that's still there yeah well, well at least are you feeling that i mean I, I assume so based on what you said but at least internally has the um the prominence of your role risen like do you oh, feel like the the role is more respected than it used to be absolutely you know I'll, I'll say when i first started at the kings i i think um we were respected but by the end of my tenure there um the amount of uh, financial resources, but also, um, you know, top of mind that we had from the business side of things was immense. You know, I, I, I'll say that we were absolutely among the, the top of the organization's um, mindset when it came to anything from finances to, to strategy, um, you know, so, and, and even now at the Timberwolves and Lynx, when when I was interviewing here, you know, I talked to our our CEO and um, you know a bunch of our other C team and our, our VPs. And I think in the past, you know, when the industry was first kind of getting into or coming to fruition, you know, that would have never happened. And, and now, I think that just shows the importance of of our roles and many of the roles that you know I had, I had interviewed it within the NBA. Um, that that's pretty standard now. Um, in terms of the importance and the understanding of the importance of these roles. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, uh, last question, if you could just sum up, someone asks you and you need to give them a quick answer. What's it like to run social media for, for a professional team? I mean, how, how would you answer? What's the, uh, what's the elevator pitch esque <laughs> answer to that question? That's, that's a good one. Um, I would probably say it's never the same. Um, obviously, as you know, the day to day is, is never, ever the same. You'll have to think one day about the way that you're phrasing something and next day about how a post that you had put out, um, was perceived by somebody halfway across the world, um, while also, you know, photographing NBA players or talking to, um, you know, people that you grew up idolizing. So, um, it's never the same. It's you, you always have to have your creative hat on, but you always also have to be your own biggest critic and um, your own devil's advocate. So the idea that you may think is a genius idea, you also have to think about how that's perceived by somebody else. Um, and 
that's that's what I love about the job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always compared it to it's like every day you're running full sprint through a minefield. Yep. My and you know some some days you make it all the way through. Other days you'll you know you'll get clipped. You don't see one coming and you get clipped. Yep. Uh, yeah. My my favorite analogy is is from Jason and he said it's basically like building an airplane while you're in the sky, and that yeah. is exactly <laughs> that's good what too. I think about it. Yeah. Well. um before I let you go, is there anything I should be asking you that I that I'm not? Um, um, have, have we touched on the yeah no the, the generals or anything else you would want people to know that I haven't asked you about? No, I I think the the biggest thing is you know the number one question I get asked, and I'm sure that you uh, get asked and have been asked is how you get into this, and my my answer to that is one, it's it's really about the work you put in and and how you set yourself apart from the hundreds and sometimes thousands of applicants that organizations get for these jobs, but also the networking aspect of it and, and not meaning you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and, and say hi, but genuinely taking an investment in time in, uh, in these people's lives and, and trying to understand their mindset and how they got into it. I, I think that goes a long way. And, um, you know, I would have never stayed in the industry and found my way in the industry if I wasn't able to, to pick folks' minds, um, and take a genuine look, um, you know, at their life, at their life, um, and sit down with them. So while you do have to be good at what you do and you do have to be a creative and set yourself apart, you also have to be conversational, much like this job is, um, and get to know the people that you want to work with or for. That's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk to Shabazz as much as I actually enjoyed talking with him. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at the handle ShabazzMKhan and check out the other full interviews if you haven't already. Once again, I'm Chad Shanks and thank you for listening to this supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish.